You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. What is going on, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of the Wisconsin Sportsman Podcast, which is brought to you by Tacticam. This is your home for all things outdoors in the Badger State. I'm your host, Josh Raley. I've got our co-host, Mr. Pierce Nellis, on the line. Pierce, what's up, buddy? Not much, man. I'm uh, sitting on pins and needles here as the cell cam blows up, um, trying to trying to plan my attack. Oh, dude, it's been a it's been a rough week for us, honestly. Yeah. If we're just if we're just talking about the deer that we're seeing, <laughs> the we're biding our time. We're you're sitting on go, man. You're like every every day has been like a should I or shouldn't I hit mm-hmm. the woods kind of thing. Um, I've got to wait. All I can do is sit here and watch my cell cams from from Georgia while you've got them hung up there in Wisconsin. So, um, man, we've got a good episode for folks though. I want to touch mm-hmm. on the episode before we get into what's going on with me and you. Uh, we had Mr. Sam Billhorn on from Whitetail Partners. Um, Sam obviously is a habitat consultant there in Wisconsin, does a great job, gets people on deer, helps you design your property. This is his favorite time of the year to hunt though, the pre-rut time frame. And a lot of that actually goes into his designs and how he sets up uh, at least his property. And he'll take it into account, you know, if you're a gun hunter or whatever, and that's kind of your primary thing, then he's going to take that into account when he designs your property. But for for his hunting and the, the hunting of a lot of other people, He's designing these properties with the pre-rut time frame in mind, because um, honestly, that's your probably your best time to get in mm-hmm. on a on a specific buck, a um, specific mature buck. And yeah. so we talk about uh, a bunch of different things. Pierce, I'm I'm curious to hear maybe your your one big takeaway. What's the thing that that we discussed that you're just like, oh man, this is going to get put into practice this fall? Well, I think. You just kind of alluded to it right there by saying if you've got one specific buck in mind, the pre-rut's kind of your time to do it. Um, And we were were chatting a bunch about um, a certain target buck of mine showing up um, in daylight, like what was last week while we were recording this episode with Sam, um, and or just after we recorded it. And, you know, Sam really made a lot of great points about how right now bucks are laying down sign they're checking their scrapes they're you know making some rubs um and they're they're just getting keyed up and they're making their kind of running the circuit almost like a racetrack to an extent um of checking all the different bedding areas waiting for that first doe to pop so they're keyed up and sam did a really awesome job of kind of explaining um i don't want to take words out of his mouth here but explaining why the pre-rut is uh kind of the best time of year to be killing specific big deer 
while they're in their routine kind of before the rut um you know cracks the lid off of things and you know we've got deer running every which direction here and things get kind of a chaotic for lack of a better term and i know that's something that just about everybody loves and something that you know tough not to get excited by but um from a specific buck standpoint his his points on the consistency and patternability of um you know you know specific bucks and kind of figuring them out this time of year that that really struck a chord with me and honestly it made me want to think about doing more and more early season hunting next year right right and that's you know another another big thing that we talked about obviously is some of the design elements that go into a property when you are setting it up for the pre-rut but that mm-hmm. spilled over right into a conversation about public land hunting as well like the kinds yeah. of things you're trying to create on a private parcel are the things you're just going to find on a public piece you're you're not creating them you're just going to scout them out and locate these right. things. so we talk about what are some of the big things that he's looking for how he approaches scrape hunting which is a, a huge part of his uh, pre-rut time frame uh, we talked one one awesome point that I'm glad I brought up and Sam kind of doubled down on you always hear it all the time it's like well scrapes aren't really any good because 80% of scrape activities at night it's like well yeah but 90% of deer movement periods at night like are we really yeah. gonna are we really gonna hold that against them you know like if 90% of deer movements at night, but 80% of scrape activities at night, it sounds like that's a high odd spot. Mm-hmm. You know, it sounds like we're probably going to run into them there. So, um, lots of good stuff. So we talk about that. Like you said, we talk about pattern ability of bucks during this period. We also talk about weather and the impact that that has on deer. And I think there may not, well, yeah, I, I think weather, weather has a huge impact early season. Weather has a huge impact late season too. But I think we see in the pre-rut, it kind of just flips the trigger on yeah. there are just those days, man. You have a cold front come through and it's like the next day you're like, wow, the sign making just took a huge leap, you know, over. And it's like, I remember last year walking into a spot and I'm like, okay, that scrape wasn't here yesterday and that rub wasn't here yesterday and that scrape wasn't here the other day, you know, and all of a sudden it's like sign just exploded. Well, it happened to coincide with a nice day of weather that followed up on a nasty rainy time period so yeah. um yeah so we get into all that good stuff but pierce man we've we've got some stuff of our own that we're getting pretty pumped about first of all you've got a giant on camera uh I do. what day are you gonna kill him <laughs> i'm i'm hoping uh within a couple of days of this episode airing here i'm hoping to have him on the ground um that was you know that, that's a, I almost kind of blanked on that, but you, you hit it right on the head there talking about how um, different weather patterns change buck behavior and affect buck behavior. Um, we, we sort of allude to it last week and um, or alluded to it last week when we were recording with Sam and the forecast has changed a little bit since then for this week. But this week when we recorded um, was projected to be like, I mean, Sam calls it groundhogs today where it was, you know, pretty much in the, you know, high fifties or right, hovering right around 60 every single day. Um, and I think it was supposed to rain, you know, all week. And I think we've still got some of that in the forecast this week. Um, but one of the things that we, we touched on, cause even last week, um, you know, we were kind of in that same consistent stagnant weather pattern. Um, and we keyed in on, you know, sort of, even if the temperature is not fluctuating, if the wind flips, that's enough to light things on fire. Well, Lo and behold, that afternoon, we happened to have 
a flipped wind uh, as compared to the you know the previous three or four days. Well, that buck of mine showed up on camera. I thought, okay, I don't want to get too you know, crazy here. I'm going to wait until I've got another south wind and I'm going to see if he does it again. Well, guess what, folks? He showed up again this morning and I wasn't in the stand. So uh, <laughs> I'm eating my words there. And But I've got right. confirmation in the next couple of days here, I've got a south wind. So I'm hoping to make a move on him yeah. then. Um, that's kind of where I'm at with, with things on that buck. Um, you know, we were kind of discussing strategizing for, uh, you know, if, if we end up getting, you know, more of a Northwest wind, which is kind of projected at the end of the week, um, how I might be able to still make a move on him if he stays kind of in the same area and just, you know, it's kind of the beauty of saddle hunting is being able to pop, you know, from tree to tree, even if it's just from one side of the trail to the other. Um, so I'm looking forward to that. I am absolutely jacked up for Saturday when we've got this massive cold front rolling through, we've got flurries in the forecast for Sunday. Um, I'm pumped, man. I think a lot of deer are going to die this weekend. Yeah, it, dude, it, it's like the perfect storm. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, for for the guy who's a weekend hunter, the timing doesn't get a lot better. I mean, honestly, all oh, year no. long, the cold fronts have been hitting just right for the weekend, like yep. all year long. And I think we've seen that on social media, guys just killing stuff left and right. You know, it's like everybody just happens to be in the woods, um, you know, on those on those uh, cold front days, but. Um, man, I I think you've got a good beat on this deer. I think you've got it figured out as far as what he likes. I think he's showed you that already. I think he's tipped your hand and I think you've got a good plan. Like you said, um, because of that, where it really doesn't matter what wind is thrown at you at this point, unless you get like a, I probably would not mess with like a South, like a West Southwest. Yeah. You'd probably be pretty screwed on that, but like, very. I think a south wind, man, I think you get a north wind. I think you're good. Southy, anything easterly, I think you're good. Um, Mm -hmm. And if he's moving like we think he's moving, kind of like you talked about earlier, if he's moving like we think he's moving, I think you got a good shot. I think there's, I I think, I think he's probably going to, I think he's probably going to die. But especially given the scrape that he himself has kind of opened up directly in front of your camera. I'm like, I'm feeling good. <laughs> like he just decided like, Oh, there's a camera. I think, I think I'll make a scrape right in front of it. That'd be cool. Yeah, huh? I think, I'll, I think I'll do that. So, um, man, also in the past week, you've put out, uh, a camera for me, two cameras for me, yeah. cell cams, uh, reveals up there in Wisconsin, pretty pumped, um, about the location of these. I think, um, I think you realize that these spots don't necessarily look like they'd be great spots, but, I think they are going to turn out to be pretty good. They're habitat terrain dependent uh, and pressure dependent. So I think the best is yet to come. The very first buck that showed up on one of these cameras was a stud. Yeah. I think he's a good deer. He was a tank. I think he's a good deer. Um, The interesting part that I wanted to to discuss and get your opinion on just real quick, sort of live, you remember the one-year-old from last year. that I sent you. And I'm like, dude, this one-year-old is a giant. Like Mm -hmm. he's either a, he's either a tiny two-year-old or he's a giant one-year-old. But I think looking at his body, I think he's a one-year-old last year. And to put it in perspective, I think he was, I can't remember exactly, but I think he may have been a 10 point as a one-year-old 
with the little kickers coming off of his GT. Yeah, dude, he had so much junk. Yeah, as for a buck with that small of a cage to have, you know, those like you said, those kickers coming off the G twos on both sides, right? Right, right. So yeah, sick deer. Yeah. So last year, as a one year old, he would have been a one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Yeah, he would have been a ten point last year as a one year old. And he had that one time that kind of swooped out more than the others. And yeah. this first deer that showed up this year is a stud. And I think he might be a two-year-old because I think it yeah. might be the same freaking deer. What are your thoughts? Dude, he's already a wide two-year-old and he is tall. Like, I mean, he's he's got to be creeping on... I don't. I'm terrible at scoring deer on the hoof, but he's got to be creeping on 130, doesn't he? He might be creeping on 140. Dude, he's he might be creeping on. He's a big deer. He's a big, big deer. But do you do you think he's the one year old from last year? Is the question? And it, based on the the structure of his G2s, and that's really kind of all I'm looking at. Um, comparing the two deer, there, I, I think he's got there's a high likelihood that he's the same deer. I think. Yeah. yeah. If so he, I think, um, if he walks by on, me, I'm sending an arrow at him. Oh yeah. I do yeah, not care how old it. he is. Um, so I'm going to send one his direction. I would be very curious. I almost would want to do that just to see how old he is, just to see if it is him, <laughs> you know? Cause I mean, if you kill a 135 inch two year old, it's like, dang, that is right. That's insane. But he, you know, he's got the G twos going on. He's got that, uh, he looks like he may have that one tine that kind of swoops out a little further than the other, uh, like he did last year, if this is him. Uh, and then he's got a little extra junk on the very tip, kind of a little baby drop tine there yep. on the very tip of his antler. So um, this could be fun, man. I think it's going to be fun, man. This. Oh, did you, know, we, did you notice, we, too, the, the one-year-old from last year, his left – uh, brow tine dips in and this yeah. one his left brow tine dips in yep just like the buck last year so anyway there's a good chance same, i mean same region or not same region same area of the of that property too right oh, i mean the, I, the camera is 75 yards from where it was last year yeah if man, that far think, 50 or 75 yards showed up on if i'm just looking at this so last year he showed up on 1024 and we got that picture on ten twenty, yep. so showed up in the same spot within four days of the deer last year. Like, I think there's a good chance. I think so too. I think there's a good chance, but that that yeah. just goes to show, man. Like those promising one year olds could potentially just be giants as they get older. Yep. You know, and if you had that's the kind of thing where it's like, imagine that buck on private land. Oh my gosh! If you can give him another year. On top of it, he's going to be yeah. an absolute freak at three, if not four. And, you know, yeah. makes it a four somehow. Yeah, you're talking world Holy class. Holy smokes. You're talking world class. Dear. Yeah, he's got the frame and the genes to do it. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. For sure. Yeah, so. it's it's got me fired up, man. We, uh, <laughs> we've talked about it a couple of times, just sort of the blind optimism we've got here. Going into the <laughs> it's season. my and, my blind optimism has faded just a little bit because these cameras have been pretty quiet since we put them out a few days ago. Yeah, but that's um, I've seen that across the board though. I think they're they're kind right. of going in waves, and I am 
maintaining my blind optimism and I am constantly reminding myself that trail cams are only a fraction of the story. Right. And the fact that he's, you know, he might be taking the trail 10 yards up the hill or down the hill from, from where our camera's at. Right. Right. He might just be skirting it. Who knows what's going on, but he's still in there every single day, regardless of wind, but okay. He walks in front of the camera on this wind. Right. And Um, honestly, these cameras have confirmed for me the two things I wanted to know. Are the deer using these areas like they did last year, meaning the same flow of movement? And the answer is confirmed, yes. That big buck had wet feet, right? So I know what he just did. Um, Also, the other place, the deer used that terrain feature just like they did last year. Got pictures of them doing just the same thing. And uh, there's a good one in there. That's it. That's all I need. Like, they're in there. He, there's a good one in there, and they're using it like they did last year. As we get further into the rut, I think that movement's just going to pick up all the more in this area. As those bucks start to try to cover a lot of ground, you know, I think they're going to be mm-hmm. really hitting it. So, um, yeah, that's all I needed, man. Yeah, I'm right there with you. I got a question for you, uh, public land related. Um, I guess it's not public land related, basically. So after I after I ran out and hung those cameras for you and stuff, kind of got an idea. And this was immediately after we talked with Sam. Um, so I had a bunch of, you know, his, his thoughts and stuff on the pre-rut and what deer are doing and um, just kind of things to look for on private ground that, you know, they're, they're trying to manage there and then taking those lessons from private to public and vice versa. Um, when I hung your cameras, and then I was looking for kind of the same stuff that Sam had mentioned as far as, you know, what are they, like, where are they traveling? Like, what, what does it look like the main, um, you know, the, where, where does it look like the, the main bedding areas are and how are they using the landscape around these, you know, more or less, I, I want to say pinch points, but not really more or less just like areas that the deer are converging in. Right for better or for worse. Um, because it's, it's, and I guess you would call them a pinch point. You know, yeah, if they're you, pinchy. Uh, they're pinchy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I went out after that and got boots on the ground in a totally new piece of public. Um, it is a wetland that has some islands. It is very close to the Wisconsin river. And, uh, (laughs) wink, wink, as you know, this year has been super dry. And so there's a lot of areas in these islands where rather than being flooded and full of water, there's nothing there. It's just dry land, marshy, you know, it's, it's wet dirt, but it's, it's pretty, uh, you know, for the most part, it's dry. And I found deer using it like crazy kind of these little gaps and channels in between the islands um, because they can this year. And I found what I believe to be some pretty solid buck sign, um, a whole mess of rubs, a scrape on either end of the bedding area that I found and one very large track right dead center in the middle of one of those scrapes uh, from 
that what I'm assuming is going to be that day because it was super, super fresh. Um, a lot of the buck sign that I saw was, you know, I saw some of the scrapes, um, but then the, the rub line that I found, it was on a lot of like, you know, thin trunked willows and stuff like that. Right. Um, you know, a couple of branches, like a couple of the, well, one of them, like one of the trunks was like straight up snapped. It kind of had a fork and one fork of the um, trunk of that willow was snapped off. How much are you looking into the size of a rub when you're trying to gauge how big a deer is? Man, it it depends on what's around. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I'll be honest with you, I don't, I mean, big rubs get me excited. But when it comes to the rest of the rubs, like if I found a big track in a scrape, I'm just going to assume that those smaller rubs are made by a big deer. Um, And a lot of it is terrain dependent. So like the spot where you went out the other day to hang cameras for me, there are just not a lot of big places where there are places where there are big trees for deer to rub. Mm-hmm. There just aren't a ton of, a ton of them. That's very true. Right? So, and I have a feeling where you were, there's probably just not a lot of big trees that yeah. a deer would necessarily like to rub. You probably don't have a ton of cedars out there. Yeah. I don't know if you do or not, but I bet you don't. Um, the spot where I'm at, if you find a good cedar, you know, it's rubbed up pretty hard. Yeah. But for the most part, I'm they're just rubbing on brush and junky little stuff because that's all that's really, mm-hmm. oh, that, that's all that's really there. So sure. I'm keying in way more on those those tracks. Man, tracks don't lie. Like right. That's a that's a big deer with a big foot, you know. Uh, with the exception of the place where I hunt, the deer do tend to have smaller than average feet. Um, so you have to adjust mm. for that just a little bit. Sure. Um, but every deer I've ever killed out there has small feet, and my buddy killed a 160 plus out there, and it had tiny little feet. So it's just a weird, yeah, weird, weird. I mean this. One I shot last year, he didn't have a three finger track. He's a freaking huh. 140 inch deer, four and a half years. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it just is what it is. But, but yeah, a lot more stock in those tracks than I than I put in the in the rubs. Gotcha. For sure. I like it. So I like it. Anyways, well, Pierce, man, this was a good episode. Folks are going to enjoy it, I think. If they want to hear our thoughts on it, they can go back and listen to last Thursday's How to Hunt Deer podcast, where we kind of dreaming and we were kind of dreaming and daydreaming and scheming and all the things. Uh, when it comes to pre-rut, I think we're probably even more fired up right now than we were last week. Um, so we're getting there, man. I'm going to be up hunting here in about seven or eight, eight, nine days. I'll be there in nine days. So Dude, November 1st is, like you said, nine days away. It's creeping up, man. It's creeping up. Crazy. Yeah. And for I the rest can't. of you who are there before that, like, go get out in the woods this weekend. It's It's yeah. perfect. Literally, the weather's perfect. The time of year is perfect. You could not ask for a more perfectly placed cold front. Saturday the 28th is going to be cold and great. Go get in the woods. That's all there is to it. Sunday is going to be flurry, sleety, nasty. I think it may be equally great. Maybe equally great. (laughs) Monday, I think you're – I hear in my listeners a a cough. I hear a cough developing in my listeners. You guys are probably sick. You should call into work. Mm-hmm. Tell your boss you can't make it. You're too sick uh, on Monday, maybe even Tuesday. You might be sick Tuesday, too. <laughs> so who really knows? But I do know that you guys need to take those days off. Um, you're not looking so great. So, you know, go rest up. 
You know what I mean? Right between those Take lines. Take care of so. yourselves. It's That's a long right. season, folks. Take care of yourselves. That's you right. don't want to be sick right before the rut. That's so. right. That's right. Go a couple days. Go and heal then. up. Yeah. Yeah. Sweet. Well, all right, Pierce. <laughs> man, thanks for uh, thanks for jumping on the intro, folks. I hope you enjoy the episode. Get ready to share your hunt this season with the Tacticam 6.0 point of view camera. Featuring a built-in one-inch LCD touchscreen, one-touch operation, weatherproof housing, and mounts to fit any style of hunting, the Tacticam 6.0 is sure to simplify the self-filming process for you and make sure you have high-quality footage to share with family and friends. The 6.0 features up to 8x zoom, new image stabilization technology that takes the shock out of the shot and lets you capture crystal clear 4K 60 frame per second footage. To learn more or pick up your 6.0 today, head over to Tacticam.com. If you want to create more memories and fill your freezer while you're doing it, the Onyx Hunt app is a must-have tool in your arsenal. With major new aerial imagery updates with historic look back, high frequency imagery, and even the ability to order your own custom imagery, the Onyx Hunt app has solidified itself as the leader among mapping systems. Now this is all on top of the public and private land ownership info, the ability to use this app with no service, and the unmatched reliability that you have come to expect out of the Onyx Hunt app. You can try the Onyx Hunt app for free for seven days. Just go find them on the app store of your choice, or you can go to onyxmaps.com to learn more. The archery opener is right around the corner and you can hunt in comfort this season with camo from Huntworth. They make high quality technical camo at a fraction of the price of other brands. My personal favorites for the early season include the Durham lightweight pants, which are rugged and durable, but also lightweight and breathable with just the right amount of stretch where it counts and the Gadsden quarter zip hoodie, which is made to be breathable and moisture wicking. To make building out your kit simpler, the Huntworth website now features their new system builder. This tool will help you grab the right camo no matter what season or species you're hunting. To check out their full camo line, head over to HuntworthGear.com. Now let's get into this week's show. All right, for this week's episode of the Wisconsin Sportsman Podcast, we've got Mr. Pierce Nellis, my co-host, and we've got Mr. Sam Billhorn from Whitetail Partners, Wisconsin. Guys, welcome to the show. Good to be here. Likewise. See, Sam knows what's up. Sam knows that when I say how you doing or welcome to the show, Sam just jumps right in there. Like he already <laughs> understands that he can't wait around. When it, it, There's a whole new dynamic when you've got multiple people on the show because I always start off with something like a how you doing or welcome to the show and then it's just crickets because everybody's like, oh, who goes, who goes Let's first? Go. Yeah, hey, which one of us is going to? So uh, Sam gets right, right into it. But uh, how are we I doing like today, it. guys? Good, good. It's getting to be that time, Josh. We're all getting a little chippy and ready to go. Yeah, man. Mm-hmm. It's I, I'm feeling pretty antsy. Um, Pierce, you and I are going to do an episode here in just a little bit uh, for how to hunt deer. But uh, we've got we both got news of of a giant on our properties yesterday, which is really really good confirmation um, for both of us. But Sam, how's it how's it looking for you on your end? I know. We talked around this time last year, I think that it was, and we we did an episode called October Hunting Strategy on the How mm-hmm. to Hunt Deer podcast, and you were a little light on the older age class bucks. You guys had had a couple of good seasons leading into last season. Some mm-hmm. things were different last year where you were like, ah, eh, we're a little bit light this year. What are things looking like for you now? Well, I will say our youth hunts continue to be hard on the younger deer, so that's mm-hmm. one thing that we've... Uh, um, struggled with i'd say i mean and i shouldn't even say that it's been wonderful i mean to see those kids and see what's going on um really excited to have them uh enjoy it and get out there so that's been good 
but at the same time, we've seen some really good, uh, you know, two and three year olds go down and, um, on our, uh, small little area, you know, so it's, it does have an impact, but, uh, definitely seeing some mature deer out there. I've got a number of them, um, starting to see some more activity closer to daylight and in daylight too. Uh, definitely have some daylight picks, um, couple cameras that are in marginal signal areas. So I only get a little bit of information from there, uh, but, uh, excited to see what's out there. Yeah, man, that that's really really exciting. As as Pierce and I were talking about, you know, pre rut, who do we have on to talk to about kind of this time frame? I was immediately like, we got to get Sam on, and he he was already wanting to get you on for you know talk to talk about other things as well. But I was like, that's Sam's favorite time of the year. So like, yeah, we've got to get Sam. yeah for well, you know what? I have I've had success in the pre rut. I've seen a lot of big deer in the pre rut. Mm-hmm. I really like the rut though for the the frenzy and the chaos that it is you know what i mean so i'm just i'm i'm torn pre-rut for me is kind of like early season you know i'll have a lot of encounters but i don't necessarily get it done um so that's kind of i don't know it it hasn't risen to the level of like man i'm not gonna miss october 20th through the 30th or 31st or whatever um but anyway so we want to talk about pre-rut hunting strategy but for those who maybe uh, aren't familiar with you, don't know what you've got going on. Tell us a little mm-hmm. bit about where you hunt and kind of how, maybe broadly speaking, how you've set this property up because that goes, uh, that really plays into your, your, your strategy here at the end of October. Sure. So, uh, my property is in Sauk County, Wisconsin. So Southwestern Wisconsin, and, uh, we are, uh, blessed to have a bigger family farm around us. So, uh, the, area that we work heavily is about 60 to 80 acres um, as far as management and development and all that. And we have another 300 surrounding us that uh, is, you know, nice that we have access to hunt those things, but not uh, nearly the development work on that. So we hunt the fringes around our property, but we really are careful uh, coming into this time of year to be laying off and letting those patterns establish. So, uh, the pre-rut and why it's my favorite time of year is getting into all of those uh, rutting activities of laying down sign, those pre-rut activities, laying down sign. And if you have a well-managed property with deer corridors and, uh, and all these travel patterns established, that's really your opportunity to have, in my opinion, the most predictable movement. You, know, you talk about the rut, the rut's awesome for movement, but it's a lot more random, the chasing, the uh, you know, just breeding driven activities that are going on, you will see bucks, but they might be running at full tilt at 60 yards because they're on a doe right. and you're never going to get them in. And I think that's, that's the difference of you know, why I key in on those last 10 days of October, first couple of days of November, uh, why I like those that, uh, that much. Right. Right. When it comes to this, this time frame where we're at right now, so we're recording this uh, Wednesday, October 18th. I've got to ask, I know a lot of guys that for them, the, the like 14 through the 18th is kind of go time. I had a couple of buddies who've killed over the last couple of days, some really mm-hmm. good deer. Um, it seems like this is when trail cameras all of a sudden start to show a little bit of daytime movement. And then it's mm-hmm. almost like it shuts off again for about a week. It's like, you've got this little flurry right there in the middle of October. Pierce and I were talking about it the other day and just saying like, I don't understand what the bucks are doing right now, but it's like you start to see them out, you know, in daylight. Pierce got a good one yesterday at what eight twenty in the morning. 
cruising through. Yep. Uh, I had a buddy yesterday who said, Hey, I was out pheasant hunting, saw a really, really good one. Um, you know, just kind of out and about in an area you wouldn't otherwise suspect him to be. Um, what's your, what are your thoughts on what they're doing this time of year before we get into, you know, like you're saying a lot of that really good consistent activity, but it's just like, boom, for three days, he was on a camera in daylight, October 15, 16 and 17. What's going on there? Well, certainly, I think a lot of that's weather driven. You know, we had that cold front come through a little while back, and and I saw a lot of heard a lot of activity of, of bucks being seen and going down too. Um, so that's certainly going to be in response to that. That mid October, if we want to generalize year to year, mid October cold front, uh, whenever that first call it bigger front is, you know, we were wearing t-shirts and still getting sunburns a few weeks ago. And now that's, you know, that's changed. And, and I think now that we're into more of a seasonal pattern of, of moderate temperatures, if the deer are a lot more comfortable, if they're more comfortable, they're going to move around a little bit. Also, I think that that browse is changing also, that they're going to um, start to move around a little bit more, especially on the edges of daylight. And that's why we're seeing those pictures. Rutting activity or, or you know, laying down sign and, uh, all those things that lead into the rut, that's that's always been on the increase. I don't think that that is a point in time where all of a sudden the, the bucks say, okay, now I need to do this. They've been doing it all summer. Right. They, they, they lead into that. They uh, they build up towards the fall. And I, and I think we see that every single day. And, and I also value what I'm seeing at night uh, on scrapes in particular. If they're hitting those scrapes, it's going to become more and more consistent throughout the day, 24 hour day. But then also you're going to see that transition more and more into the daylight. And that's when maybe you take that opportunity to go in and get them. Right. I, I hear a lot and I, and I, we're going to get more into this because I know your strategy uh, for hunting the pre-rut involves a lot of mock scrapes and that kind of thing. Um, you know, I, I, I've heard, and I just saw it the other day, the NDA posted something. They were like, Hey, 80% of scraping activity happens at night. And it's almost thrown out there of like, uh, so therefore scrapes don't really matter. And I'm like, but 80% of deer activity period happens at night. So like, you took the words out of my mouth. Who who cares? So anyway, what are your, what are your thoughts on that? (laughs) Absolutely. And you look at what the deer are doing they're up all night and that's, they're, you know, if they have 20% of their activity during the day, I'd be surprised. I'm talking mature, mature bucks now, right? 20, 20% of their movement. Uh, is not during the day. Okay. They're, they're getting 90, 95% of their movement at night and you're just catching them on the fringes. Now rut getting into rut that changes. They're running all day long. They're ragged. They're exhausted. It looks like they're running a marathon. That's different. And you have that a little bit in the pre-rut when they're covering ground. You know, I've got trail cam picks from years and years of bucks covering thousands of yards linearly across corridors in an evening just to freshen all the scrapes that that they're watching that might be covering 100 acres mm. you know that's that is a big area to move in the daylight in late october right right when it comes to you know gosh there's so many different directions i want to go i'm, I'm getting so fired up about the pre-rut but when it comes to checking those scrape areas do you see uh when they start to make these big moves do you see any events that trigger that? Like, oh, a rain came through, therefore he's going to go through and freshen them all up. Do you see that kind of activity, or is it just a little bit more random than that? 
I think there's a few things that come to mind. I think weather's part of it. You get um, a big blowdown of leaves and of uh, rain that knocks things down. I think that they want to go freshen up that spot. I think that I've seen that after a rain where they're definitely working the ground a lot more. I saw that recently on the last rain we had. Uh, So that's part of it. Um, It is the ever increasing amount just in general. So maybe those two things we see hand in hand. And then also as those, uh, you know, get into the more of the pre-rut, true pre-rut time, they're just starting to cover ground. They are wanting to cover more and more area uh, and demonstrate where they are and where they're available and uh, that that is their turf. All right. Sorry. I just, that, that question came to mind. I'm going to get back on mm-hmm. the, I guess the track of questioning that, that I was going to, uh, to go down. Pierce, feel free to jump in if, if you've got a follow-up, but let's define the pre-rut first, right? There are a lot of ways of considering the rut here when, and there are a lot of folks who will say, look, as soon as those bucks shed velvet, like that's pre-rut. Um, and I, and I get what they're saying. They're, they're capable of breeding at that time. Okay. Whatever. But what we're talking about when we say pre-rut, we're talking about a specific kind of behavior, a noticeable difference away from this slower, loafing kind of lackadaisical attitude of the early season and a shift in demeanor and behavior as we get into, uh, you know, bordering up on what we would consider peak breeding. So tell me a little bit about your ideas of pre-rut, when it begins, and when you really start to see that uh, dramatic difference, let's say, between early season behavior into uh, more seeking behavior. Well, that's really good. I think that uh, too often you might see these, you know, clickbait things of seven fa- major phases of the rut and, you know, all these, you know, phase seven, you know, 6A and 4B. And it's like, you know, <laughs> I like to simplify it a little bit better than that and say pre rut, rut, post rut. Okay. You have three basic things going on. Now it is not a, uh, three steps, you know, we're, we're all here, we're all there. And then we're all into the third. No, it's, it's a transition. It's a, it's a bell curve, if you will, of activity. And I think that that's the, that's the way I think of it. Yes. Once they, once those bucks shed their velvet, they're absolutely going to be in different habitat. They're going to be in uh, thicker areas, you know, in summer with the heat and their velvet and all that. I think they lay up in some pretty shady open areas. But once they get the velvet off and they start to think about um, being a little more aggressive and territorial and all those things, you know, they're going to be, you know, seen more in in brushier areas and thicker areas, thicker areas of cover. And I, what I see it with activity in, and it could be all things. This could be sparring and fighting, and it could be, uh, you know, chasing eventually as the does start to come into heat. And you might have some does come into heat very early. You might have some third week of October that you're going to see a come into heat, and there could be a, a chase on, but, you know, the rest of them are two weeks later. And that's just the way it goes. It, that's um, every animal's a little bit different that way. But to answer your question, the pre-rut as I see it is, yes, it's these activities that they're doing. And I think it's, I emphasize bucks laying sign. So that's scrapes, rubs, um, both, and we say scrapes, it's both the ground, uh, scraping up on the ground, urinating, leaving scent, uh, scent from their glands, also on our licking branches. 
uh, or natural branches if it's a natural scrape. You know, they're raking their antlers, they're leaving scent from the glands in their face, all of those things. So that that is them saying it's the it's the uh, you know the neighborhood stop sign or neighborhood uh, um, fire hydrant. They are marking it, saying I'm here, and the last guy who was here is no longer. And and I think that that's that's the activity that I'm emphasizing in the pre-rut is we're focusing on those bucks trying to do that. I know there have been many times where I've seen a mature buck on a camera and I don't do a lot with cell cameras. I'm getting more and more into it, but I still want to keep, uh, keep a balance on that with SD cameras. And I've seen many times where a buck went and hit a scrape in the last or the first hour of daylight. And then they did it again in the last hour of daylight. The buck I killed in 2022, the one over my right shoulder here on our video that one hit a mock scrape in the evening that I shot him on. And I pulled the chip from that camera. It wasn't a cell cam, pulled the chip from that camera. And that morning he was on that scrape. In fact, uh, the vine that I have there on the, on the mount, that one is, uh, that broke that morning. He broke it off. He broke the mock branch that I had there. Uh, and it was on the ground. Um, so that happened that morning and I shot him that evening. They hit those same places, especially on developed ground, time and time again. And that's the activity I'm talking about with the pre-rut. Yeah, man. First of all, we've done a ton of video calls together, and I've always wondered what in the heck is up in that deer's antlers. <laughs> and now I know. Yeah, it's, I, mean, I was just it's, thinking the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was the, like the As soon as we got line. on. Mm-hmm. Oh, man. I, I don't know how many video calls we've done, and I've just sat here and wondered, like, what is that? I don't understand what's <laughs> going on. <laughs> it's too big to be an arrow. Yeah, well, that's, I was like, what do you do? <laughs> throw a javelin at that thing? I don't understand. Just want to take a quick minute to let you know that the Wisconsin Sportsman Podcast is brought to you by Tacticam makers of the best point-of-view cameras on the market for hunters and anglers. They're on the cutting edge making user-friendly cameras to help the everyday outdoorsman share your hunt with friends and loved ones. Their new 6.0 camera has a ton of upgraded features this year, but the one I'm most excited about is the new LCD touchscreen. In my mind, that is a total game changer. And one area Tacticam really shines is with their mounts and adapters that are made with the sportsman in mind. If you've tried to film your hunting and fishing excursions, you know just how frustrating it can be to try to get an action camera aimed just right or get it attached to your weapon or in a good spot for a second angle. Well, Tacticam makes all of that a breeze with their line of mounts and adapters. This fall, I'm going to be using their stabilizer mount on my bow with the 6.0 camera and their bendy clamp paired with the 5.0 wide camera for a second angle and to make sure I don't miss any of the action. To learn more and check out their full line of products, head over to their website, Tacticam.com, and share your hunt with Tacticam. Okay, you mentioned there something that I think is huge, especially on developed ground. Now, I know that property design goes uh, really hand in hand, and you're, you're designing a property for a pre-rut time frame in a lot of ways, uh, specifically for the way that you, that you hunt. Like, it's set up in a very specific way. But I think we see the same kind of activity on public ground. Maybe it's just a little mm-hmm. bit less often. So for me, one thing that I've noticed, I run a ton of of cameras on scrapes um, more and more every year. Last year, the only cameras I put out except for, I think except for one, were all on scrapes. And what I was getting on those scrapes is bucks who would come through to a specific scrape every two, three days, you know, and he Mm -hmm. would, but he would be consistent. He would, he would hit that scrape. He would come back to it. 
Talk to me a little bit about the development that goes into setting a property up for the pre-rut time frame. What does that look like? Because there are so many things to consider, you know, beyond hunter access, you've got your, you've got your, your doe bedding that you're putting in strategic locations. You've got travel corridors that are in strategic locations. And I know you're a big fan of mock scrapes. So uh, I'm just going to throw all of those pieces at you and let's see what sticks to the wall as you start going here. And this is relevant to, uh, to the public land hunter, all these things. And I say that universally, of anything we're talking about when we say develop ground and habitat planning and all these different things that we do to manipulate the landscape, those can be discovered by scouting and by the deer's natural patterns that they have. Um, and so they do translate. But to, to address the question, on develop ground, what I specifically am doing for the pre-rut time frame are well-developed corridors. I want deer travel to be very predictable throughout a property. On my property, I have corridors that are over a thousand yards long, well-developed. And these are deer trails. I say corridors a lot, deer, deer trails that are used. Um, and so how do we go about doing that? Well, first of all, it's understanding the pattern that is naturally there. We aren't trying to tell the deer to go up and over the hill and circle it three times. No, it's following and connecting existing patterns that are already there. So back to the public land hunter, you're finding that corridor. You're saying, why would this be a buck corridor versus that? So when we get those established or we know where they are and have them laid out, then we're just simply going to maintain or enhance them and then maintain them. Trees fall all the time, change patterns, um, different growth develops over time. And, and what we want to do is make sure that that corridor is the one they want to use. We do that by uh, cutting trees. You can fell a tree or hinge a tree perpendicular to that direction. And part of the objective with that is to constrict movement, maybe give a pinch point around a topography feature or a body of water or something like that where you already, if you already have a, a natural pinch point on a, on a larger scale, getting down there in the specific setup, you're saying, I'm going to pick this tree. I want this cor- this corridor. I'm going to enhance is about at 20 to 30 yards. Don't want to be too close. I think a common mistake is having it be really close to the setup and then make that the only way they're getting through. So if you have in hill country, for example, a steep drainage, uh, that steep drainage is going to constrict travel. You often see crossing at the top or bottom of that drainage. And you're going to look and maybe find a secondary trail and block it off. You want to make sure that you put a tree in there. It makes it really inconvenient and uh, continue to develop that pattern. Other littler things, something I've been doing more of is actually on a hillside, you know, so picture a deer running along a, a side hill. They're maintaining the same elevation around a hill, but that hillside still has a slope to it is actually cutting into the bank and pulling dirt out a little bit to almost make a little shelf. You see, you can picture a, just a, even less than a foot wide walking trail along that uh, side slope that is much more comfortable for them to travel on. So I could go into details more and more with that, but that's, that is the corridor itself. Once you have that, you need to combine it with uh, safe access. So you don't want to create a bedding area adjacent to where you're walking in. you you want to walk in, perpendicular to that travel pattern, 
get in your tree without ever touching that corner. You want the first time you see it is when you're climbing your stand and then you see that corridor. So elevation can be used a lot of times. I have trees uh, I climb into where I come up from below, get into the tree and I'm almost parallel on elevation. Uh, you know, at the same elevation of that corridor. So I'm looking almost straight on at it because of the elevation change. And I like that because um, it is, I'm not impacting that set whatsoever. Mm. Um, Enhancement. So just one more thing on that is we talk about water holes, mock scrapes, as we spent some time on before. All of those things are the dots along that corridor. The corridor is connecting the dots. So I don't want to go any less than a couple hundred yards, maybe 300 at most, without having a feature. The feature could be a small kill plot, a water hole, a mock scrape, um, if it, a mineral, if it, uh, where that's uh, allowable. And some of those things that are going to continue that pattern. And also, as I started off with, these are interconnected throughout a big property uh, or even a small property, it's 30, 40 acres, you can have a 700 yard corridor wrapping around three, three sides of it. And, and I think that you know, if, if you have that kind of distance and that kind of quality of all of these things combined, it is what becomes a, you know, more of a pattern and a racetrack for that buck to go run during this pre-rut time frame. Right. Right. Man, there's a, there's so much going on there. Uh, we've talked about um, mock scrapes before. I don't remember what episode it was, but we kind of went way down the rabbit hole of how you make your mock scrapes. Something that you do though, that I was telling Pierce about the other day that uh, I'd like you maybe to go into just a little bit more and who knows how applicable, the, applicable this could be. It, depending on how you read your regulations, you may be able to do this on some public land that you're hunting. Um, mm-hmm. But you will go in and if you've got uh, competing scrapes in an area, that are competing either with a mock scrape or even a natural scrape that you're wanting to hunt, you've eliminated those. Mm -hmm. Uh, So tell me about your reasoning behind that and kind of how you go about doing it and the effects that you've seen it have. Sure. Um, I want deer to use my scrapes. Period. There it is. (laughs) And I say that, I emphasize that to say it really is that simple. Because I look at, you know, you walk the landscape and you might have perennial scrapes. Maybe that's a good place for a camera, especially early on, Mm -hmm. inventory, um, using a natural scrape. But if you can't hunt it that well, uh, you want to be careful how many of those you have on your property. You do not want to have 400 scrapes on a 40-acre property. It makes it very difficult to hunt. But if you have a dozen, well, you're in much better shape to know where that deer might want to go. A lot of my sets, I will uh, dedicate solely my only lane my only shot is six feet either side of that mock scrape that is it and i am i am all committed to that the same buck that told a story about here just a minute ago i saw that deer coming in at 30 40 yards and it was on the corridor and i just sat i waited and waited i mean i had a couple little lanes that maybe i could have shot at but i'm like he is going to hit that scrape and i i have a picture from that camera of him just looking up as the arrow was coming down. Oh. That was at that, at that moment. Oh. And that's why I said, you're dedicated to that spot, but that's okay because you know, and they don't touch it every time. You know, sometimes they'll work the ground. Sometimes they'll work the, the scrape. Sometimes they'll both do both. Sometimes they'll 
just take a sniff and keep on walking. But I guarantee you there will be a moment there for a shot. And sometimes there's five minutes. They might, as you have a water hole and a mock scrape in one location, I got times where my phone's pinging me on a deer that's doing either one for five minutes. Man, I, I was, I was talking to a guy recently who, um, made a mock scrape and he's down here in the South. He's in the Carolinas and he had a doe show up to this scrape and was just obsessed with it. Like started working the scrape and everything that doe bedded down in the scrape and he burned up a whole set of batteries with this doe in this scrape. He was like, I'm going to have to, he was talking to me. He's like, I'm going to have to go in there and run her out. Cause she's going to starve to death. Like she won't leave. Now, I mean, obviously she's not actually going to do that, but I think he said she was there like in that area of the scrape for like two or three days. And he just got mm-hmm. thousands and thousands of pictures. They'll bed. They bed yeah. right there on the scrape. That you is know, and I, wild. I see that all the time where a deer will bed for three hours on a scrape and you're both there jumping there and changing settings on your camera because <laughs> you, you want it to cool <laughs> off. Uh, so, but uh, a side note on that, solar panels are the only way to go. Right. Buying batteries. Yeah. Right. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Solar gotcha. panels and then, you know, pairing those up with like the big 12 volt batteries mm-hmm. too and mm-hmm. think that's a good move pierce you had some experience with a mock scrape the other day uh i want to hear a little bit about about that because is this your first one to put up there on the property or maybe maybe your first time this to- is the this is the second one that i've got up it's the uh i've got a 50 percent success rate at the moment um <laughs> the other one's not exact it's kind of on a field edge it's not really um you know, consolidating anything. We had a food plot and that was kind of the main entrance to that food plot. But, um, you know, basically everything to the north, west and south of that food plot was pretty much wide open as long as they jumped the creek. Um, and so it, it just wasn't that that effective. However, the other one that I've got over on um, a ridgetop, yeah, that thing, it's taken like a year and a half for them to really figure it out and hit it on a consistent basis. But this year it is freaking money. And so I'm pretty pumped about that. The dough that I shot last weekend ended up um, working that for, you know, maybe 30 seconds or so um, really just kind of licked it and bumped it with her head and then walked on by. Um, but I think at least three of the four does that were in that group did the same exact thing. So that was really encouraging to see. And we were texting yesterday that the buck that I got on camera, um, the direction he was coming from looks like he was coming from where that mock scrape was. He's kind of hitting a secondary trail that's um, right on the edge of our property. And then there's another main one that um, is really good for doe movement, but not so great for uh, buck movement that that I found. So we're definitely going to have to do some, some hinge cutting here. But one of the questions that I had, Sam, um, as I look at the big piece of vine sitting in that deer's rack behind you, if you've got a buck that comes in and he rips down a scrape, because mm-hmm. I had that happen last year as well, and I didn't want to touch it. If it's, I mean, it's October 18th, we're recording this right now. Is it too late to go in there and try and put something fresh? Is it worth trying to repair or how, how do you go about uh, dealing with stuff like that? Uh, I would absolutely go fix it. If you can hunt a set there or nearby, um, depends on how long it's been down too. I mean, obviously the, uh, cell cams are a huge advantage. Um, just to speak to that, I had this exact thing, exact thing happen. I had a scrape go down on one of my kill plots with a cell cam from a big oak branch that fell down and some winds. And I was in there two days later 
fixing that thing up because I didn't want to lose that pattern. Mm -hmm. um, I went in there and at an evening uh, set, gave me got, I got in an hour earlier than I might've otherwise with a handsaw and some paracord and I uh, got that thing back up and uh, cleaned up and I had deer on it that evening. And, oh, and I would kidding. say, you absolutely want to go do that. But part of that too is, you know, where it's, where it's at, your access to it and all those things, um, how long it's been down. Mm -hmm. If it's been down for a month, it's probably lost a lot of that pattern ability. Um, but if it's a, a, you know, years old scrape you've had, um, it, it's never too late to put that back up. Sure. Gotcha. And so with that as well, like, you haven't noticed any difference in deer activities more. So they, they key in on the location of that scrape rather than, Hey, this is a fresh vine in here. It doesn't smell like the other one did what's going on there. Like have you haven't I, had any issues there. I I don't know the detail of which the, the bucks think of that. I guess part of it I would think is it, especially this time of year, um, it, other times a year, it's going to probably take a little bit of time to adapt and they'll be a little mm -hmm. more suspicious smelling it and all those things. I would certainly have really good practice on scent control uh, sure. when you're going to do this and taking in a vine that's you've never touched and or rope, whatever you're using, you've never touched and all those things and be very careful on, on your scent control. But I think this time of year, they'd be a lot more forgiving because it is the, the, um, testosterone's taking over and right. you know, they're, they're on a mission to do these activities. And I think that they're letting their guard down, which is what we're taking advantage of. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Another thing that Josh told me, um, kind of on the note of, you know, you cutting down other scrapes in the areas that they're hitting your specific scrape. Um, he gave me a little hot tip that uh, I don't know if it's industry secret or anything like that, but sometimes you will even cut, a natural scrape and take that branch and hang it over another scrape. That's certainly possibility. If depending on what the type of material is, so I, mm -hmm. I have a personal preference on vines, which aren't, you know, it's a very unique situation that that's a mm -hmm. natural scrape. Um, I like them because of the, it's very fibrous and sure. uh, a Absorbing. lot of tech texture absorbency, all those things. Yeah. So, sure. and, and obviously that is a pretty well-known thing within uh, this space to use vine for it. Mm -hmm. uh, also, I am experimenting with some other, uh, other types, uh, natural and unnatural, uh, as far as uh, what can be used. So I'm prototyping a few things, which we might see in the years to come here uh, to test out what I think could be the ultimate solution. You know, the, and this deer is a testament to it. They, they yeah. break, you know, they, and, branches a lot of you see people they'll hang a you know like a small oak branch with leaves and, and such they they get tore up very quickly and yep. that's the downer to all that situation i want to make something that's a little bit more resilient and bulletproof but i also am very suspect and don't uh really like the just the, the ropes of all types no brand right specifically that the rope type i think there isn't enough mass and uh, you'll obviously you're, you know, these guys are getting pictures of them touching it, but I think it would be used more if they had some mass to them and resistance to help build up that ability to rub against it and have that be in some ways more natural. Totally. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. For sure. I, uh, I recently hung, uh, a mock scrape with a, with an Oak branch 
and a, a bear ripped it down already. So I'm pretty, I'm pretty bummed about that. A bear came by, a bear cub <laughs> came by and thought it was kind of neat and decided to rip it down. But, um, yeah, so that, uh, I don't know. I see, I tend to see a lot of other critters as well around mock scrapes that I, that I create coyotes and foxes and bobcats raccoons. and raccoons and, and all kinds of stuff coming in and, and I guess checking those things out. But so the other day, like you mentioned, Sam, it, it's not very uh, normal to be walking through the woods and see a, a, you know, a vine of some sort hanging there with a natural scrape underneath it. Mm-hmm. The other day I was on a hike with the family and I saw from a distance a wild grapevine hanging down to about belly button level. And I was like, oh, man. Like the, this, this could be it. So I walk there, over there. There were lights, there were lights shining around it, shining yeah. lights down on it. At like first, my first music. thought, my first thought was this has got to be a mo- like somebody hiked in here and created a mock scrape just to see what they could get. So I'm like looking around for a camera. I go over there to it. I see that the, the vines up in the tree, like a branch had fallen. And that's why it was kind of dangling the way that it was. There was no scrape underneath it. I was pretty, mm-hmm. I was pretty bummed about that. But, uh, it Let wasn't on, a, it wasn't on a deer trail or anything like that. So what do you do? But I know another thing for you, Sam, is the way you position those those vines or branches or whatever it is. You're putting them where the deer are basically going to hit their head on it anyway. Yeah. So we talked about those corridors before, and uh, point of width. Uh, we want those as you're cutting out. Maybe it's a log or something like that just a foot and a half, two feet. We don't need to make these ATV trails. In fact, bucks won't use them if you make them like roads. So you want to keep them narrow and a little, have some wind to them and all that. You never really want to have more than 10, 20 yards. That's straight. Um, but to your back to your question of the or point of the scrapes, I look and I want to uh, make sure that this is right in the middle of that path such that they have to walk around it if they don't want to touch it. Mm-hmm. And as I talked about before in that moment, to give that, that shot opportunity, they're going to at least nose it. And it's uncommon that they just walk around it. Right. And also, too, on the ground, I want to make sure I have about a four-by-four four area that's flat, as flat as I can make it. I've seen plenty of times where it wasn't flat. And I, I'm even talking a modest slope, you know, that's maybe over the course of four feet, it's six or eight inches difference from one side to the other. And, and they just don't care for that slope. They like to see a flatter piece of ground for both working it uh, and urinating on it and all of that. They, uh, that's going to generate more hits if it's, if it's flaccid. Simply take a shovel, do a little bit of landscaping, move the dirt around, try and keep the topsoil on top, and uh, make it make it flat underneath the box scrape. Then too, uh, the bottom of it being uh, about belly button, as you described, belt height um, uh, varies by individual. But anyway, <laughs> my belly button's you, a little lower than others, but. You know, I, I wasn't calling out names, but, <laughs> but having it about that height. And the reason for that is if you'll see on our pictures, you know, the buck might be a foot or even 18 inches up on that scrape, but that's okay. It's four or five feet long and they've got plenty to work with in mass, but all of those does, small fawns and bucks are able to get their nose on it. Even the a fawn from that year is able to get their nose on it and that's leaving scent. And the more deer that are using it, the more productive it will be for your bucks. Right. And 
Pierce, to your point, mentioning those does coming through and all kind of nosing your mock scrape, like, mm-hmm. man, that's that just feels like good news. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, the buck that did come through, I don't know if he worked it or not because your camera's not angled there, um, but you better believe he knows those does worked it, you know, or that yeah. does have been working it. I mean, he's picking up on the fact that that is a, that is a deer communication hub, and uh, now he knows it. So, hopefully... He'll be back through because of that. So, uh, Sam, let's talk a little bit about um, when your pre-rut doesn't go how you want it to go, right? Let's say we're on Sam Billhorn's ground, and the oldest buck that you have on camera right now is a year-and-a-half-old spike. Uh, maybe he's a three-point. We'll call him a three-point because it give him a little something extra. Uh, that's all you got. You got to go somewhere else. You're not gonna. You're not gonna sit there and wait and hope for the entire pre rut. You've got to strike out on uh, on your own now, away from your home ground. Go find uh, find the spot. Really uncomfortable, Josh. What's that? <laughs> I'm getting really uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Keep going. Well, you know, I, and I'm actually as I'm posing this question, I'm like, I'm afraid he, what Sam's gonna say. He's gonna be like, he's gonna show up exactly where I'm hunting because I'm not far <laughs> from you, but. Um, Anyway, so so you, you got to strike out on your own. What are you going to be to be doing? I mean, especially if it's this late in the season, it's October eighteenth. Things just aren't starting to fire off at your property. Where are you going? Well, one of the nice things about that, with the amount of public ground or other access properties, is go. You're going somewhere else, like you pose. And and I look at it and say, I have absolutely nothing to lose. If I'm going to public ground or this or that, I'm just going to tromp around until I find the sign that I'm looking for. And obviously, I'm gonna, if I'm going to be going to sit, I'm going to be man, managing scent and, and you know, moving, moving uh, differently than I would if I was taking the kids for a walk in the woods. But I'm going to go look around and find what I want, find what I'm looking for. You know, these things that I we've spent uh, this time describing, they all exist naturally. Um, I would probably sit down first and look at some existing food, adjacent food sources, you know, naturally, how might those patterns be scouting on paper to say, where, where are these, you know, big picture pinch points? What are ways I can access that? All these things that we take into consideration in a, uh, property design, and hunting plan for a client that we're doing on a client property. I'm going to do that on ground that I have permission to hunt or public land and take a set, go hang it and love being out in the woods because I'm going to find that scrape and, and hunt over it. I, I wouldn't, I would hunt a corridor, but I'd be really hesitant to not be hunting where I couldn't have a, a shot at a scrape. So that's, I'm going to key in on that, especially pre-rut. Um, I would maybe give some preference to more of timber sets in the evening and adjacent just coming off of food in the morning. Uh, and, and the reason for that is uh, I think that just my cameras, what I've seen over the course of time is in my little kill plots and things like that is the boxes, they go back to bed. I think they're a little more comfortable from having run around all night. And as they come back to bed, they, They'll take one last bite that first hour of daylight uh, in the in the small plots, which is why I'm I'll, I'll be hunting small plots uh, on my property in the mornings uh, versus those timber sets more in the afternoons evenings. Got it, got it. 
When it comes to looking for these scrapes that, you know, you're saying you, the sign you want to see. So uh, I'll tee it up like this. Last year, I decided that almost all of my cameras were going to go on perennial scrapes, scrapes that I had a couple years of experience with on public ground. Um, it was really a great experiment because I put those cameras up. They were there when there was no scrape on the ground, and I got to watch them be opened up for the first time. A couple of things surprised me about this area. Number one, the scrapes opened up way later than I would have anticipated. Uh, in fact, one scrape that was just the size of a car hood by the end of it, and it was when I found it, uh, that scrape didn't open up until November 4th. Uh, and the very first buck that I saw that came through and opened it up, Pierce, was Mr. Mondo. I don't know what we're calling him, but that thing is gigantic. Uh, he was the first one to come through there and open it up. Um, but a lot of those perennial scrapes had nighttime activity. And so there are things that we're prioritizing to figure out, okay, is this the daylight movement scrape or not? Because you can find, you know, walking through a, a, a field edge or, you know, a, an edge in the tim timber, let's say, a cover edge, um, tons of scrapes. So which one is going to be the one that gets your attention where you're like, hey, I think this is the one where I'm going to see that, you know, whatever, 20% of daytime movement. I'm going to be thinking first in terms of deer travel. As that relates to the daytime, I'm going to be focused more on, and, and I, I default to hill country because I hunt that a lot, but more right. on the, near the tops of ridges and near the bottoms of drainages. And those are natural places. You combine that with field edges that have pinch points, create pinch points, like where a field corner and a drainage come together. Um, I'm going to be focused in the timber on those types of travel areas. And because of how I've just teed that up, access is going to be from one way or the other to try and come at it in a perpendicular fashion and be as stealthy as I can to approach that area. Now, if I got to find that travel route, find a scrape and find a tree it's going to take a little bit more effort uh, to do that and obviously if you're going in there blind it's probably more an evening hunt because you want to get there midday see what you can see get your set and let things kind of settle down for the evening um, and then also consider it's maybe you can't scout it if you're coming in blind but consider where those bucks might bet wind directions relevant um, uh, benches, ridges, um, different habitat types, all those things could come into play and into my mindset of, okay, here's a good pinch point, but yeah, just, just, you know, a couple hundred yards this way is some adjacent areas where there could be bedding bucks or does either is important at this time of year and see how those come together to make a spot that I'm going to pick out and sit. Right. Right. Uh, same. I've got one thing that I want to run by you real quick and, um, you know, Thinking through, we were, we were chatting yesterday over a text message about some content we're producing for the Whitetail Partners uh, podcast, which if you haven't heard about that yet, we've got a new podcast, the Design Build Hunt podcast. It's me and you and a bunch of other uh, habitat consultants with Whitetail Partners, where we're talking about all things habitat, property management, deer management, all that good stuff. One thing that I found a couple of years ago, and it stayed consistent, and you know where it's at. You actually know what road it's off of because we met there last year. Mm -hmm. um, every year around the pre-rut time frame, 
a large bed pops up just off of the big food source that's right there. Mm -hmm. There's a large ag field. And it's where a bunch of trails come kind of up out of this. I won't say that. uh, Come up out of this area where deer bed, right? The trails all converge. And right there where they converge about 100 yards off the ag is a large bed that pops up every year. And it's got rubs all the way around it. It's not their early season. It's not used late season. My working theory has been that there's a buck that goes and beds there and sits there and spends a lot of time there as those does come out of bedding and into the ag field for the afternoon. Not necessarily cruising or seeking or anything like that. He's just sitting in one spot and waiting for them to kind of run through. Have you seen that kind of activity and hunted that kind of pattern before? Um, And... You know, if not, what do you think could be going on there? I'm, I might just have to wait till my rutcation's over and have you come look at it with me this year because I'm confident it'll be there again. I was gonna say you're you're being really specific without well, trying to disclose. I know, I know. Well, yeah, I, yeah, I, I want like you to visualize to where stop, it's at. Press stop and try and uh, give you some more detailed advice here. But, yeah, uh, we'll we'll generalize staging areas, right? Right. So if a buck is going to hang up somewhere and and he might move to this place too. So just what you described, but he'll move there perhaps an hour or two before uh, dark because he knows the bucks, excuse me, the does are going to be coming through. Yeah, I can absolutely see that. We had a stand and as you're describing it, it reminds me of a set that we used to have. We actually took it down because it was so hard to get out of there. Mm. We, we, it was too close to the food and we could not get out of that tree unless we waited till it was dark, dark, dark and deer were gone to get out of there. And, uh, but it was exactly that. We had a scrape, uh, on a, um, spot that was five yards, 10 yards into the timber from the, from the main entry that we have to our food plot. And, it got hit all the time. That was a really active scrape. We still use a scrape, but we really struggled to hunt it. Now we got a blind now out of the food plot. That's as soon as the deer step out, they're dead. But you know, that spot right there, we couldn't be in a tree for it because we just couldn't get out of there. So anyway, to your point, staging areas are excellent. And that might be a buck that's actually hanging out there for a while. Mm -hmm. Like you described, maybe even bedding. Um, or it could be just they are hanging up there before they go off to, uh, you know, to do the things they do at night. Right. And it's it's a spot, if you've ever seen like when bears get into corn, kind of what they do to it, where they just mat the whole area down, mm-hmm. that's what it looks like. But there's not a tree within 75 yards. Like there is no, I mean, if you hunt it, you're on the ground, in the grass with them, and it'll be a, it would be a tough set. Well, without going in too much into that too, I would say consider the habitats, what you're describing with grass and no trees. A lot of times in these, you know, call it flatter, whether it's lowland or it's, it's just more of a prairie, you know, the flatter ground. Yeah. The deer are going to use it differently than the hill country. I'm often describing when I'm talking about all these setups. And so whether it's a wind direction, you know, I'd be, I'd be really uh, interested to know when he's there. You know, if you're setting up on that, it has to be a certain wind direction right. that that brings him there. Right. Specifically, I don't think it's every day, day in and day out. Right. So, yeah, those are some things to key on that might make that different. Uh, the the conditions, I think, is a huge part of that, especially in a flatter piece of ground. Yeah, that's 
So I, I need to throw some observation sets at it this year. That's actually what I was going to do last year um, when I ran into a hunter in the parking lot, and he said he was going there to that general area. So I was like, I'll go the opposite direction. I ended up shooting the buck I shot for the first time um, last year. Didn't kill him that time, just wounded him. But um, so I, my, my plan was to observe, and then I found another buck. So I'm like, oh, I'm off to something else. But, uh, yeah, that'd be – That'd be a good one. I need to get in there and just watch that bed and just see what happens. But, uh, Pierce, anything else on pre-rut strategy that we need to talk with Sam about? I've got a, I've got another question that I want to pin him down on here in just a second. But um, anything else that you're wondering? Well, I'm hoping your question doesn't revolve around weather because that's what's been on my mind uh, pretty much since the start of this conversation Go here. Go for it. And <clears throat> so, folks, if you need another reason to uh, – check out whitetail partners sam's weekly rut forecasts are awesome go check them out on instagram um one of the big things i've been noticing this week is it's been really consistent and looking into next week it's looking really consistent there's not a lot of temperature fluctuation um however there is some wind direction change Mm -hmm. is that sort of the differentiating factor that uh you're going to be keying in on to like look for an increase in, in deer movement. Um, I know we've got some rain by the time this comes out, it looks, I mean, it'll be Tuesday the 24th. So if you're not in a tree that week, I mean, we've got bigger problems going on, I think, but, um, (laughs) (laughs) it looks like we got some rain towards the end of the week here. Um, but then that Friday, it looks like there's a pretty big temp drop on the 27th. Um, until then, or as we get further into the, you know, through the pre-rut and into the rut, what exactly are you looking for if we're not seeing those big temp drops? Is it precipitation? Is it wind direction change? Um, how do you plan your sits and your strategy in, in accordance to that? Sure. Well, weather is extremely important. We probably haven't mm-hmm. talked enough about that in the context of this conversation mm-hmm. of pre-rut. And I always tell people when it gets when the 10 day forecast hits October 20th, I'm mm-hmm. watching it like a hawk. I mean, the reason I started putting out all those, hunt forecasts on my social media was because this is exactly what I'm doing, what I'm thinking. And I might as well uh, explain that to, to my followers on, on that. Mm-hmm. I look at it and say, once it hits the 20th, it's, you know, we're going to see those pre-rut activities. That's going to happen regardless of weather, but a big drop is going to amplify that effect and have a positive increase on activity. Now, as you said, and as I commented in my post at the beginning of the week, uh, for the week of, what is this, October 16th, that uh, yep. the week I'm speaking of, is it's it's Groundhog Day. You may see the movie Groundhog Day. It is the same thing mm-hmm. over and over and over. And we have that for 10 days. But the end of next week, it is going to change drastically from what all the models are showing, is that we're going to have a, a big drop in temperature. It's going to be 15 or 20 degrees lower than seasonal average. And that's going to correspond right around the 26th, 27th, 28th. So yeah, if guys are, are picking this up here on, on uh, Tuesday of that week, that's when it's going to happen. It's probably right in our uh, windshield at that point in time. And I think awesome. that, that that's something I'm going to key on is say, when is that big drop? Because as that coincides, and, and the later the better. So I would say this is actually a really good setup for us this year is mm-hmm. this humdrum seasonal, you know, sunny fall days, day after day. And then that drop hits right in time with the pre-rut uh, amping up. So I'm going to be 
hunting a lot starting next week, Thursday. We started, I think, off air here just saying, when are you going after it? Thursday, next week. Yeah. That's, what I'm, that's when I'm going to be there. <laughs> now, where I'm at, I'm looking at uh, quite a bit of rain in the latter half of the week, uh, next week there. Is that affecting anything in the strategy? Or are you still recommending folks tough it out and just get wet? Deer are still going to be on their feet? So, yes. And uh, I want to go back to, because one of the things you asked about is how to address this humdrum weather. I didn't address that. Mm-hmm. Was um, wind, wind direction. I have a buck, a mature buck on a ridge where he is going to bed in a bed that I'm aware of when there is a north, northwest wind that's fairly light, not a heavy wind. We got that on Friday. I might be there on Friday to try and take advantage of that if I can. And we'll see how that goes. Um, and, and, you know, that's the, that's the type of thing I want to key on is specific beds, bucks, areas, uh, could be seasonal too, or year after year, you could have this because another buck might take that place because obviously that bed, that setup, that uh, situation might be repeated by another animal, not just individual to a personality of one buck. Getting back to your weather end of next week, if you got rain, uh, and, and we a lot of times cold fronts come with rain. I think this is something that's universal throughout the season and something to be aware of is, you know, I'll, it, it, sometimes the, Radar is going to have um, a whole day just be a washout. And that that's tough. That happens from time to time. But that's not typical. Usually, rain comes and goes. It, it, it's throughout a day. There's um, It's not raining nonstop all the time, all day uh, during hunting hours. And what I would say is be flexible and be watching the radar. One of the best things you can do is go in when it's raining, get in your tree, when all the deer are pinned down, and especially if this corresponds to an afternoon evening hunt, is to be in that tree and try and time it one hour before the rain ends. In the you get in your tree, rain ends, start drying off, and then the activity will happen. Deer have been bedded. Uh, you amplify that with the pre-rut activity, wanting to go freshen scrapes, lay down sign, all these things we've spent the hour talking about that's what's going to happen and and to time that out and be there especially if it's october 29th be all over that and be timing it but you might not want to go sit for all day if if you're going to be the soldier that goes out there saying i'm going to do an all-day sit on october 29th and and you know it's going to rain all morning long i would say you're a lot tougher than i am and willing to gut it out because i'm not going to be there until that rain's about to let up Mm mm-hmm Absolutely. Right. Man, I, when we talk about rain, I kick myself last year. Um, the buck that we, that we've been talking about Pierce, the really big one, he came Mm -hmm. through. Um, I left an hour and a half before he came through and it was because lightning chased me out. Um, I'd sat in the rain all morning. Winds picked up. It started the lightning. I left the woods. I was like, this is, this is too much for me. Uh, soon as it stopped, there he is on camera. And I'm like, oh, you got to be kidding me. Like this is, I mean, just, just painful kind of, uh, kind of thing going on there. But was that immediately after you had sweat through your clothes for four days straight? Yeah, man, it was an awful trip. The weather last year was just awful for the rut. I'll be honest with you. I was sweating through my clothes and then it was just, then it was hanging in a tree in a saddle and like 30 plus 40 mile an hour winds which was a wild ride 
The only thing that kept me from getting down was the fact that I was afraid I would fall trying to get back down my sticks. Like, literally, I'm like, I think the safest place I can be right now is tied to this tree because if if I try to get down, who knows what could happen because it's moving so much. Then the lightning and, well, it was lightning and hail. So I was like, I've got to get out of here. Who knows what's coming? Uh, let's hope it doesn't look like that this time. Yeah. Uh, Pierce, Pierce, I like to mock Josh every now and then, and I'll send him one of his posts from when he looked like he was a prisoner on an island somewhere uh, <laughs> uh, from last year's rut because he earned his buck last year. I felt yes, like I was. A, did. I felt like I was a prisoner on an island last year. Um, and I felt I mean, like you were just like the perfect test model for all of Huntworth's clothing because oh, you got dude. to run the whole line. It, <laughs> it proved itself. I, I had on their early season stuff. I had on their late season stuff. I had on the rain gear. I mean, I did it all, man. Um, so, yeah, it was uh, it was the, uh, definitely the best way to, to test it all out. So uh, I'm going to say – a question on rain here. Yeah, please, please go for it. I was going to say topic I, I, I'm really hoping for Sam's sake – that the weather does what it's supposed to do and you get that drop around the 27th for my mm-hmm. sake i'm hoping around november 1st maybe this front holds off for a couple of days because i'll be there i'll be there november 1st so you you're know you're doing just fine josh you're i'd be okay be, with that you'll be all maybe right. the second so you're not too tired that, from the drive that's yeah. right that's right we want you going in fresh yeah um so, so on the topic of rain there are you willing to be more aggressive and maybe push into a, a you know a more prime spot when you're doing those rain sits, if you're trying to sneak in there an hour before and then, um, you know, catch them right when it ends, are you willing to do that with the idea in mind that it's going to rain tonight again and wash all that scent away? So are you less concerned with that? Absolutely. Yeah. And, and I, I've made posts and mention of this before to grab a whole bunch of SD uh, cards on cameras mm-hmm. is, not only will I go to that set, but I will grab half a dozen cameras along the way that I may have not otherwise not gotten. Um, because, uh, one, just maneuvering about the woods at that time, you can be quiet. You yeah. can be really quiet. Wet leaves are fantastic for moving about the ground. Um, obviously still aware of scent control, but, um, you know, trying to be, uh, careful on that and, and, but more, if there's more rain coming, I mean, that's the best there, there can be is you get this mm-hmm. rain event. You can get in there quiet, get some cameras, get in a stand, hunt this great area, and then get back out quiet and have rain come through again and, and wash it out. So, yeah, that, those multiple waves of rain, you got a four-hour gap that corresponds with the morning or evening. That's awesome. Perfect. Ah, this is getting me fired up. I know. I'm. I. Uh, I pretty much can't stand it right now. I. I've got a family camping trip this weekend, and a whole bunch of work that has to happen before I can go. Uh, but I am wishing away these next couple of weeks so that I can hurry up and get up there and 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 get after it. So, uh, Sam, I want to put you on the hot seat here, right at the very end. You've got to pick one day, Sam. You've got one day to get it done. You can pick any day that you want to. What day is that going to be? Well, we're in the theme of pre-rut. We are um, looking at a pretty nice weather pattern here. It's next several days, so it's, it's as I've said before, it's not going to be uh, early October 20s, which if there was a cold front passing through, might have been. Uh, I'm always, uh, I, I point to this one and say October 25th, because that was the date that that one was for the pre-rut. Uh, but I would, I would look at the weather right now and say, 
next week, Thursday, maybe Friday with the weather, but then the, the game time decision will be, where is that rain? What Pierce just asked, what I just described, where exactly is that rain hitting? What you got to be watching the radar and current conditions to do. We don't know that this far out. Uh, and Pierce, I just pulled up here looking at weather and the next week, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, you know, 50 to 75% rain, all three of those days, mm-hmm. you know, when that subsides, when that ends the next day to be after it is the day right now, that looks like Friday, maybe it's Thursday, maybe it's Saturday. Yeah. Um, but when podcasters or when listeners are listening to this podcast, uh, the upcoming weekend, wherever that hits and maybe it's slid a day by then that's the day yep when I'm, I'm looking at my weather right now as well and we've got a big drop between thursday and friday from 60 down to 46 with an overnight low on friday going into saturday of 31 so i am pumped for that yeah yeah and and that uh and i'm not a big pressure guy because i think that that correlates mm-hmm. to all the other things that are going on <laughs> right but you've that that pressure goes like it's like straight line up to high yep. pressure uh, Friday night currently is what that looks like. Mm. So Saturday Saturday mornings, likely my first morning hunt, although it might be Friday morning, uh, given the weather, if there's a break. So we'll see. It's A lot of it's going to be corresponding to what that uh, rain is doing at the time. So Sam, sure. last, last thing, and then I'm going to let you, <clears throat> then I'm going to let you go. Um, when we have these fronts, let's keep going. Josh. Let's no, keep going. Don't stop. We'll, we'll just do a three hour long podcast and we'll All just right. keep rocking. Uh, when, when we've got the front comes through, right? Like there's a lot of guys who say, Hey, front comes through that first morning. As soon as it's gone, that's when I want to be in the woods. Some guys are like, eh, let's give it a day for the sun to come back out. Like once the sun's back out, wind dies down. That's when I want to be in the woods. Where are you at on that? Are you like, Hey, as soon as that front comes through, I'm, I'm back in there. Or are you giving it a day or two before you really expect the best movement? In the pre-rut rut, it is the next, it is right away when that, when it's done. Um, I'm going to jump in there again, the the, uh, freshening of scrapes and a sign and all that. I'm going to be in there right away. Given it two weeks ago, a couple weeks ago, you you know, people had a pretty good run of it. I think uh, hunters were very successful. That first cold front that came through here, second week of October, I would have said this the second day, let it, let it uh, cool off or not cool off, but let it settle down and be a little bit more stable conditions. Cause as it's more, a little more blustery, let's say with the wind and precipitation and all that, uh, it may be a little bit more of a lag getting right. into it. But as far as it's relevant to now and when this podcast is going out, it is um, get after it as soon as that rain pushes through. Awesome. Awesome. Well, Sam, where can folks find more from you and the rest of the team from Whitetail Partners? Yeah, just punching Whitetail Partners anywhere. Uh, social media, uh, website, uh, uh, whitetailpartners.com. Uh, and also for Wisconsin listeners, want let to let you guys know about something new for me. Uh, I am now adding real estate to uh, the various services that I do through Whitetail Partners. I'm a licensed agent in the state of Wisconsin. And you can find me uh, both at Whitetail Partners Wisconsin, which is my handle there as it's associated with Whitetail Partners, but also on uh, Wisconsin Lifestyle Properties, which is uh, my handle there for uh, social media on all things uh, recreational properties, land, uh, lake lake homes, and things like that. So excited to add that. It's something I've been doing for a long time, helping people find the right Whitetail property. 
and it just is uh, you know full uh, full circle here to go and serve people uh, in all facets of uh, their property. Right, man. I I meant to lead off the conversation with that. I thought about that last oh. night. I was like, I'm going to tee it up <laughs> with that and be like, Sam, you've got new stuff going on, and yeah. give you the perfect opportunity. But but I missed it. That's all right. It's only been an hour. Uh, and you guys got a whole crew over there at Whitetail Partners. Like you guys are killing it. Well, thank you, Pierce. And to that, I would say go go check out all of our partners. We have five across the eastern United States. We got we go by state names from our uh, home states, but we really cover uh, anywhere the whitetails roam uh, in the eastern United States. Here is to have uh, I'm at Wisconsin. Josh is Georgia. We also have Tennessee. Ohio and Michigan and kind of checkerboard the country that way, but serve everybody uh, in our various regions. So whatever state you're in, find, go find all of us. The whitetail content is relevant across uh, all of our social media platforms for you at maybe a little bit time of the different time of the year. Josh and I always uh, chuckle about that. Uh, you know, we got uh, food plots still going in down South and, and will be for a while yet, but uh Anyway, check us all out, and I uh, would appreciate the follows and uh, support that you give us in that way. Absolutely. Yeah, so I uh, just a, a quick note on that. October 28th, a few days before I drive up to Wisconsin, I'll be down in our uh, South Alabama property planting food plots, uh, preparing for our February rut. So uh, that's going to be a, a grand old time down there. So, Sam, thanks for coming on the show today. Pierce, thank you for joining me as well, Mr. Co-host. Uh, for everybody who's listening, go check out Whitetail Partners, whitetailpartners.com. You can find them all things social media, Whitetail Partners, and the Design, Build, Hunt podcast available wherever you get your podcasts. That's all for this week's episode. As always, thank you so much for tuning in. If you dig this show, be sure to subscribe to this podcast wherever it is that you get your podcasts. While you're at it, if you could leave me a five-star review, I would very much appreciate that. You can also follow along with my outdoor adventures on Instagram at the Wisconsin Sportsman or at How to Hunt Deer. That's also the best way to get a hold of me. Suggest topics, guests, or questions that you'd like me to explore on the show. Big thanks to our partners, Tacticam, Huntworth, and Onyx. Please go support the brands that support this show. And if you're looking for more great outdoor content, check out thesportsmansempire.com where you'll find my other podcast, the How to Hunt Deer podcast, as well as a ton of other awesome outdoor podcasts. And until next time, make sure you make the time to get outside and enjoy the incredible natural resources that are ours as Wisconsin sportsmen.